we're going to continue to our work that we began last week. How many of you were here last week? First installment of Ladders and Buckets. Okay, you came back. Come on. That's good job. How many of you saw it online this week? You weren't live, but you were online this week. Okay, a few, a few of you. Cool. Um, so we're going to continue on with this conversation. Everybody shout next week. Next week, uh, we are not going to be dealing with lust. Uh, we're going to be dealing with a totally different subject matter. And uh, Eric and I are actually going to co-teach together next week in a different format than we usually do. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, all things marriage, etc. But what we're actually going to be doing this week as well is we're going to be accepting questions all week long through social media. And then next week as well, you're going to have the ability to uh, shoot questions to us via a phone number. And then we're going to answer like on-the-fly questions that are coming in. And uh, I know that sounds very, very dangerous. Uh, we're going to curate the whole thing. Don't worry. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We thought this would be a great way just to kind of flip things um, upside down for Father's Day weekend. And next weekend is Father's Day weekend. Come on. We're going to love on our dads, the dads of the house. And so um, get here next weekend. Bring a friend. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and the questions that you're allowed to ask are only relational questions, okay? Um, so if you're wondering, like, when Jesus is coming back, talk to Pastor Dave or Pastor Howie. They'll tell you. Um, and, uh, but next weekend's questions is specifically in the vein of, uh, of all things relationships. And then we've got one more weekend after that of relationship stuff. And then into July, we're gonna have some phenomenal guest speakers in July. And, uh, and then we're gonna continue on. So this is gonna be a summer. This is gonna be a hot summer. Come on. And <laughs> uh, a lot of fun. There was like a duel. Okay, never mind. You didn't get the joke. Okay. First um, Corinthians chapter six, verses seven through to 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 7 to 20. This is where we're going to begin today as we work through um, uh, more of the content that we began last week. This is Paul the Apostle writing to the church at Corinth. And uh, Corinth, if you don't know anything about the church at Corinth, they were jacked up. That's a theological term, okay? They were, they were messed up. They, they had all kinds of nonsense going on. Um, and so Paul is going to write two letters, because it took two to, <laughs> to bring some correction to them. And he's going to write two letters to them um, to help bring some correction and some understanding to how they're supposed to be living, what their life is supposed to be looking like as followers of, of Jesus. And so uh, that's where we enter into, that's the context of 1 Corinthians. Um, and this is Paul writing, he says this, as it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. So what Paul was driving at in that sentence is he was talking about Christians who in the context of the church had issues with each other, and not just issues with each other, but now they had legal issues with each other. And because of these issues, what was happening is it was, it was defaming their Christian witness outside in the cultural space that they were called to reach people. And Paul was a little frustrated by it because he's, listen, he's going like, listen, you guys, need, if you can't get your stuff together inside, what makes you think you're gonna have impact on the outside? Y'all with me? And so that's what Paul's kind of going at when he deals with this issue. And he says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. You do this to brothers and sisters. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit, the king, inherit God's kingdom? And then he says this, do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. It's a massive list that Paul rattles off. And then he says this very powerful statement in, in verse 11. Listen to what he says. He says, and some of you used to be like this. And some of you used to be like this. 
That's a big statement because what Paul is, is submitting to us is that in and through the power of Jesus, what was is no longer because we can step into new things in the name of Jesus. Through the work of the Holy Spirit in our Some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now there's a little bit of a pause, a little bit of a break in the sentence structure, but then Paul launches into this whole other concept and he starts dealing with the philosophical truths or understandings of the day. And so there's quotations around this next part and it's really important for us to know this because what Paul is doing is he is quoting a, a popular idiom of the day, a popular statement of the day, and it goes like this. People were saying, everything is permissible for me. And then Paul would say, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. And then Paul would say, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then there was another statement that was being made, which he is going to quote, and he says, people running around saying this, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will do away with both of them, Paul says. And then he launches and he moves from food to this. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Now, it's important that we understand this issue because what Paul was using is he was using the idiom of the day to help them understand because there was an argument that was going on not just about food, but their sex and sexuality as well. Saying that the body was meant for sex and sex for the body. Y'all see what I'm talking about? And so he uses the food argument and he parlays it into this new argument to help them understand and realize that just because we are sexual beings, just because sex is a part of who we are, doesn't mean that it's meant to be used however we want it to be used. Okay, so then he launches in. He says, however, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And then he says this, God's raised up the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her, for scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And now he's gonna drive his point home. And he says, flee sexual immorality, exclamation point. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And then he says this very powerful statement, one that flies in the face of the world that we are living in right now, the culture that we're living in right now. This is what Paul says. He says, you are not your own. Come on. You are not your own. Why? For you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Today, as we continue on in our You Are Here mini-series, Happily Before and After, I wanna to speak to you from the subject, Ladders Not Buckets, part two, as we deal with the issue of lust and what the Bible says about the appropriate handling of our sexual desire, our drive, and the design that God has for this area of our life. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, and has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And so God, right now, we come all together today with humility, with our minds open and our hearts ready to hear your words speak to us now. We need your voice in our life. God, we, we do not need Jason Parrish's voice. We need your voice. So speak loud, speak clear. Speak to each of our hearts, Jesus, right now. We give you this space. We give you this time. Have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen.
if you were here last week and, and you would recognize the illustration right here, we started this conversation with the idea of ladders, not buckets. Ladders, not buckets. And we talked about the idea that God has a very specific design for our sexual life. Y'all with me still? Uh, I wanna say something that somebody came up to me after the first service and, and highlighted, which I thought was a very profound thought and I loved the illustration, so um, this is credit to them. But they came up afterwards and they said, you know what's amazing about this illustration? They said, it has really helped me and my husband this week as we've been just fleshing things out and talking through the message. And what they started to then jump on is they said, what was really cool and we were just thinking about is that buckets, they represent the way that we like to build things or the way that we like to do things, but the ladder represents very intentional engineering and design. That it was, it was that this ladder has the strength necessary, the strength that is required in order to hold something the way that it needs to hold it. And that was only done through intentional engineering and design. And I thought, man, what a powerful way to look at this illustration because, oh, we're here, we're all trying to figure things out with buckets, and the Lord has given us a way to do life that is very much intentional, very much designed, and it's engineered for our great benefit. Come on, somebody. Is anybody thankful for Jesus? So I, I love that idea, and, and the illustration is just going to remain up here so we can pay attention to it throughout the, the rest of our conversation today. Um, if you didn't get last week's message, I would encourage you to, to do so. Uh, Carl R. Truman is an author that I'm fascinated with his writing uh, right now. Uh, great, great writer. In one of the books I just got done reading uh, that he wrote called Strange New World, uh, he submits this, this idea that I thought was great. He puts some words to something that I've been wrestling with when it comes to this subject matter. And he said that every Christian should be required to have a theology of the body a theology of the body. In other words, what is our belief? What, what is it that we believe God says about our bodies and the way that we handle those things? And so if you read the course of scripture from the back to the front, there's a lot of conversation about this thing, the body. And that's why Paul would submit to us in Corinthians. He says, listen, your body is not your own. It was bought with a price. Now, pause. Everybody shout pause. pause. I need to make a qualifier really quick. In this room today, there are two groups of people. There are those of us who have said yes to Jesus, and then there are those of us who have yet to say yet to Jesus. We're kicking the tires on faith, we're trying to figure this out. You can come into this conversation today, and you can feel some sort of, some sort of way about the conversation that we're having, and, and you might like say things like this, like, man, this feels judgmental, or, or so on and so forth, and, and it will feel that way, and here's why. Because I am talking to Christ followers in the room today. Four amens. Let's try that again. I am speaking to Christ followers in the room today. Can we all agree that we should not be surprised that the world is doing what the world is doing? Right? And so what happens many times is that Christians run around telling the world how they should live rather than conducting their lives in a way that represents their conviction on how we should live. And this is an important distinction to make because if you are in the room today, and I'm gonna say this really strong and really clear, this is why I'm sitting so I feel a bit nicer when I do this, okay? <laughs> Plus my back hurt. Um, so, um, but I, I, I wanna say this. If you are a Christ follower, if you said, man, I'm following Jesus with my life, I've given him everything I am, listen to this. There is a way we've been called to live. Okay? Now, I completely understand if you're in this room today and you'd be like, man, Jason, I haven't said yes to Jesus. I'm, I'm kicking the tires on faith. Somebody tricked me, said we were going to a club. We showed up at church, like whatever. 
like Denny's was in the conversation, like, right? And you're like, I'm trying to figure this thing. I don't want you to hear this conversation in a judgmental way because I understand our lives outside of Christ are very much directed by the world that we're living in. But if you call yourself a Christ follower, we have to understand that there is a way that God has called us to conduct our lives when it comes to the sexual area of our lives. Can all the Christ followers say amen? amen. Okay, and that's a big deal. So if you're in here, you're kicking the tires, all that stuff, like sit back, relax. But here's what I hope you can hear. Now here's my reach to you today. My reach is I hope you hear the heart of God on this matter. And that you would hear that yes, there are all kinds of ways that the world says we can live this area of our life out. But I wanna submit to you today with grand confidence and grand strength that the greatest way that this area of your life will be exercised is in conjunction with how Jesus has designed it for us. That would be my submission to you today, that you would see the love, the design, the purity, the goodness of, a, of the sexual part of our life given over to the leadership and lordship of God. Can I get an amen in church today? All right, so with that being the case, now let's launch in. We are going to be dealing with some very practical issues. Last week was the high level, 30,000 foot view. How does lust and unchecked sexual desire and sexuality, how, how does that impact us? So we talked about that last week. Go back and watch the video from last week. This week, what I wanna do is I wanna move, I wanna like start to land the plane and give us some very practical handles on this. What are things that we can practically do? And I've heard that from a lot of people. You're like, great, yeah, grand, awesome. I love the idea of God having something to say about this, but then like, what do I do, right? I can't take a cold shower every 37 minutes, right? So what, what, do, I, what do I do with this? Like, have you ever, like, can we just be real in church today for a second? Have you ever like felt like, like there's that, that monster, like he's in, the, he's there, and it's like, right? And you're like, keep my eyes focused, keep my mind, and like the stuff going on inside of you, stuff in your mind, stuff in your heart, stuff in your body, like all the stuff. Right? And so one of the questions every single service last week was like, okay, great, how? Like, what do, what, what do I do with this? I'm like, good question, we'll answer it next week. And they're like, right? <laughs> so we're gonna answer the question. Number one, every shout number one. Five behaviors I wanna deal with today. Here's the first one. We must adopt parameters on our inner world. We must adopt parameters on our inner world. Philippians chapter four, verses eight to nine. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He's gonna be talking about our thoughts, but I want you to see the transferable principle here that it's not just about our thoughts because our lives consist of more than just thoughts. There are emotions and there's feelings and there's your soul, y'all with me? That's some of our, there's our heart, that's our internalized world. But I want you to hear what Paul, Paul says to the Philippians. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, come on, that's a great list right there. If there is any moral excellence, if there is, and then he just says, anything praiseworthy, anything, anything praiseworthy, he says, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. When I dwell on these things, when my, when my inner world is ordered, then the God of peace will be with me. I want you to think about that. Let me say that one more time. When my internal world is ordered, the God of peace will be with me. Now, Paul's directly referencing our thoughts, but there is an acknowledgement that is made all throughout Scripture, and it's, that, it's to the impact that our inner world, thoughts, feelings, emotions, soul, spirit, heart, have on our exterior world. 
I would submit to us today that the issue of lust and unchecked sexuality moves from the inside to the outside. It is internal before it's external. And then I would even say this, it is spiritual and, and mental and feelings oriented before it's physical. Let me say it like this, if you're writing notes today, grab a hold of this thought. We have to learn to govern our physical nature by living out of a new and renewed spiritual nature. The Bible would tell us that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so this issue that we're talking about is a holiness issue. Holiness is not just an external adherence of a behavioral system. Holiness starts at the inside of us. It starts at this level. It starts at this level. It starts at the soul level. It starts at decision making. Y'all with me? That's where holiness starts. And the problem that many of us have is that we have, uh, we have a, a misframework as to what holiness is. We think it's the adherence of certain behavioral things that makes us holy. And yes, there is truth to that, but it starts on the inside. Some of us are running around. Have you seen Christians that look like this all the time? They're trying not to do bad things. How many of you see, like, you look like you're hurting. Like, have you seen that? I call them constipated Christians, okay? Because they're running around like, and then they're telling people, they're like, hey, you should love Jesus too. Some of you, have you met that person before? Everybody look forward, be quiet, okay? And it's a big deal because at the end of the day, what's happening is you have somebody who is simply trying to work holiness out externally and it's never taken root internally. And that's where a lot of us are in our faith journey with Jesus is we're trying to do holiness on the outside versus holiness on the inside. And if we don't figure this thing out in our lives, if we don't, then, then the outside will at a certain point, your willpower will end. Your ability to keep on white knuckling it through and trying to do a physical, it will end. Your ability to just hold on tight till Jesus comes back, it will end. If holiness starts on the outside first, and I would say, I don't wanna say never, but I've come to find this about those of us who are following Jesus. If holiness starts on the outside first, it rarely ever makes its way to the inside. Because the stronger, the, the stronger force in this holiness issue is, is the inside. It's my soul, it's my heart, it's my mind, it's the decisions I'm making before it's ever a physical reality. Y'all yeah. yeah. with me? Because yeah. at the end of the day, my internalized world is what tells my physical, is the, what tells my physical self to do what it's going to do. Yeah. See, none of us woke up today and like all of a sudden my hand was doing something that I didn't tell it to do. Yeah. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And so what I want us to hear, what I need us to grab a hold of is this issue. Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 17 says this. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then this is what he says. This, here it is, watch. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. You hear that today? It is God who is working in you to both will and to work according to his good purpose. And then he says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. There it is right there. Live out this holy life without being like, Ugh! so that you may be what? Blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation. And this is important because then he would say, among whom you shine like stars in the world. And this is how you shine, by holding firm to the word of life. <laughs> 
then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Holiness is a work of gradual development that is based upon an, an intentional decision day in and day out. We've got to decide first and foremost. Here's, here's one I'll submit to us today, church. Everybody looking at me when I say this. We have to decide today as a follower of Jesus that holiness is gonna start on the inside and work itself out to the outside. Every thought, every decision, everything that's going on inside of me, that's where this journey starts. One of the, one of the uh, people in the second service came up to me, um, since we're asking questions next week, I told him to a- ask this question next week and we'll answer it, but this was the question that he asked. He said, what happens when we mess up? What happens when we mess up? Because we all do. And I thought it was a beautiful thing because he, 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 he used the buckets and he goes, well, what happens when we're doing things on buckets and we're standing on the third bucket and then the buckets collapse and everybody gets hurt and everything that I was doing has gone to waste? And I said, so I told him, ask that question next week. <laughs> he was frustrated with me, but um, <laughs> I said it was a great question and we're gonna talk about that. But I will say this, God knows that we're gonna mess up in this area of our life. But if we've internally made the decision to walk this out, we can get back up and keep going with him. There is a massive difference between messing up. Okay, listen, there's a massive difference between messing up and living in rebellion. Do you see the difference? The funny thing is, is that many of us, when we ask the question, what about me messing up? We're not actually talking about messing up. What we're really saying is, well, what happens if I decide that I just wanna do what I wanna do? That's a very different, that's a very different issue than I messed up. I'm trying to live for God, but don't worry, we're gonna get to other points of reference here in just a second, all right? So we've gotta work out our salvation with fear and, and trembling. James chapter one, verses 14 through to 16 says this, each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to, to, to death. This is an important scripture for us to understand because what the Bible is teaching us right here is that at the end of the day, many of us try to blame the devil, blame the world, blame this. What James is saying, he's like, listen, most of us are tempted when we are led away by our own desire, by the own thing that's in, that, that monster that's inside of us. Now here's the thing I want us to hear. We are sexual beings. God created sex. He created this aspect of our life. It is beautiful. We talked about this last week. It is absolutely amazing within its context. But here's the problem that I'm noticing. It breaks my heart when we allow the very thing that God has given to us as a gift to become the slave master of our lives. He said, here's a gift, and we turned it into a demon. Unchecked, that's what it will become. Undealt with, that's what, what it will become. So the first thing is that we need to adopt parameters. We need to put guards up in our inner world. We need to decide my mind's, not gonna, my mind's not gonna stay here. My heart's not gonna stay here. My soul's not gonna be impacted by this. And then constantly giving ourselves to Jesus in and through worship, in and through his word, in and through places and spaces where I can be washed and renewed in and through his presence. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? All right, number two. Second one, every shot number two. Here's the second thing we need to do. Practical handles. We must acknowledge our weak moments. We must acknowledge that we are weak in this area at times. So James chapter four, verses one through three says this. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Now they come from your passions that wage war within you. 
You desire and you do not have. You murder, covet, and cannot obtain. You fight and you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and don't receive. Check this out, because you ask with wrong motives. Why do we ask with wrong motives? So that we can spend it on our own pleasures. Writer Tony Renke put it this way. He says, our passions expose our internal trajectory. And here's the lie that many of us have bought into. We bought into this idea that when we come to Jesus, he takes away all of our desires. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. He doesn't take away our desires, he redirects our desires. I don't want Jesus to take this desire from me. I want it directed at the right person in the right context. That, like four amens. Let's just try this again. Come on, married couples. I want it pointed in the right direction. I, I want this gift that he's given me. It's absolutely beautiful, but I don't want my desires to get the best of me. The goal isn't to delete desire. The goal is to direct desire. And the problem, the lie that many of us have bought into is that we have somehow come to the conclusion that the desire is stronger than our ability to discipline it. Go, oh, I'll listen to this. This is so much fun. <laughs> Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and? What? <laughs> Self-control. So what happens is that in life, we believe somehow that this desire that is in us is stronger than the Spirit of God working in us. That our desire is somehow stronger than the Spirit. No, no, it may be stronger than your willpower, but it is not stronger than the Spirit of God. The question is, is whether we will allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives. The goal isn't to delete desire, just take it away. No, 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 it's to direct desire. Um, what did they say to Spider-Man? With great power comes great responsibility. Yes, it's theological and it's in the Greek, okay? So they were dealing with him using this like his power correctly for, for good. Desire is no different. It's about making sure that it is pointed in the right direction. Now, desire is something that we need to deal with, though, really quickly. And here's the truth that I've come to realize about desire. Write this down if you're taking notes today. Desire is the product of input. Jeremy, desire is the product of input. And some of us, we go like, well, where where all this coming from? And and I would say, well, why don't you check your input sources? Check your input sources. You've got to pay attention to what it is that you are inputting into you. Um, I have a problem in my life, and they're called Sour Patch Kids. (laughs) And they're sinister and demonic little gummies, and they wreak havoc on my life. And so this, this past week, two weeks, actually I've had it for more than, more than a week, so two weeks, um, I bought a five pound bag of Sour Patch Kids two weeks ago. And <laughs> I'll judge me, uh, they're so good. The, little, the two times the size, have you guys seen these ones? Yeah, they're on the bottom shelf because that's the only shelf that can support the weight of them. And so, um, so I bought this bag of Sour Patch Kids and uh, I usually am pretty good at moderating myself with these things. And you know, it's like the first day I get the bag, I pop it open, and whoosh, this 
wafting of sugar goodness. And so I take three and pop, and it's like, it's fine. It's only three of them. And here's what I've started to notice about Sour Patch Kids is the minute I buy this bag and I take some Sour Patch Kids, the next day, y'all think I'm crazy after I say this, but like, just look at where I'm going with this. The next day, I find myself thinking about Sour Patch Kids. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to get home and have dinner, gotta be responsible, and then have Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> I'm teaching my kids around here, right? And so I get home and after dinner, and I kid you not, there's like this thing, I'm like, oh, I really want, you can fill in the blank, it doesn't need to be Sour Patch Kids for you, I don't know what it is, but just think about it for a second. And then after that, like, oh, I get some sour, watch a movie, and it's like a few more Sour Patch Kids, a few more Sour Patch Kids, and then the next day, I find myself like, like dreaming about Sour Patch Kids. Just, dancing around and <laughs> here's, where I'm, here's where I'm getting to. I finish off a five pound bag yesterday. And then I thought to myself, how did they go so fast? And then I'm thinking about this whole thing and like what I'm teaching right now and everything like that. And I'm blown away because here, here's the truth. The, the Sour Patch Kids didn't do it to me. It was the constant input of them. What I fed myself, I, could, I, I started to desire more and more. Now I know many of us could sit here and be like, well, that's because of the sugar compound and this, that, and the other. Have you seen this documentary? Whatever, but <laughs> there's always holes in the analogy, but here is the truth. Because I keep inputting, the more my body wants, the more my taste buds want, okay? The more you input images, experiences, words, novels, movies, illicit relationships, fantasies. The more you input, the more you want. The more you input, the more you want. The more you input, the more you want. The third, the third installment of that novel, the more you input, the more you want. The, the, next, the next release on Netflix, the more you input, the more you want. Anything on HBO, the more you input, the more that you want. You laugh subtly. We've talked about this before. Eric and I look at IMDb all the time. Here's why. It's because I wanna make sure that what I'm inputting doesn't destroy me. Because what I input is what I'll, y'all with me today? And so here's the question that I wanna, I wanna ask you today. Um, there's an acronym that we used around here. It's called HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I would add a B to it, but then it's no longer an actual word. So BHALT. <laughs> Bored, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Here's the question I wanna ask you. What do you input into you when you are bored, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired? And it's amazing how many times I have sat with people in my office who are, who are losing their mind on things because the input during boredom, hunger, anger, loneliness, and tiredness set in and they inputted something. Y'all with me? It's getting quiet in church today. So Paul, Paul offers us some very important truths. 2 Corinthians 12, verses nine to 10, this is what he says. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. 
and therefore I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. At a spiritual level, church, we must understand that when I am weak, I have the spirit and the presence of God to rely on and to lean on, and he gives me everything that I need to overcome. In Jesus' name. But there is also some very practical ways to do this, which brings me to number three. Every shout, number three. Three. We must rearrange our environments. We must rearrange our environments. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses one to four says this. In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. David remained in Jerusalem. David remained in Jerusalem. When all the other kings went out to war, David remained in Jerusalem. You get the point? So then what happens? Well, one evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof in the palace. Maybe he was bored, I don't know, but he went to the roof. All the kings were out being responsible. All the kings were out having war. All the kings were doing what they were supposed to, and David was someplace that he shouldn't have been. And so he wandered around on the roof, and from the roof he saw a young a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. And that's important because the Bible wants to qualify that there was something that enacted desire in him. It's important. David saw something beautiful. His eyes opened up options all of a sudden. And then David takes another step. He says, David sent someone to inquire about her. And he said, isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. So you see this this just cascading effect take place in David's life. And this is where it started. It wasn't that all of a sudden David woke up in bed with Bathsheba and was like, whoa, how did this happen? (laughs) Well, come on, we've done that before. Like, what? How did that, what? No, there was a very real way this happened. Where did it start? It started by not going to war. It started by avoiding the place that he should have been as a king. Oh God. It started when we stopped digging into this book right here. It started when I stopped worshiping the way that I used to worship when I came to Jesus. It started when I stopped showing up. It started when I blocked those people out of my, it started, y'all see, it starts somewhere. And then it starts to escalate and it starts to escalate. Here's the truth. If we're gonna do this thing called holiness, we must rearrange our environments. One of the greatest reasons that we tend to not keep our desires and drives in check is because we constantly place ourselves in the wrong places and spaces, right? So, young couple come to Eric and I and they wanna live for Jesus. They, they, they wanna do things right in their relationship. They're dating, they're not engaged yet, but they're, they're dating, they're trying to figure things out. But they come to us and they talk with us and they're like, man, Jason, Erica, we keep jacking this thing up, we keep messing up, we keep breaking our boundaries. And I will say this, once you break your boundaries, putting them back in place becomes harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. We don't like to hear it, but that's just the truth today, right? So there's one of two options. You will keep on breaking your boundaries or you will push your boundaries out further so that you don't go through the effect of breaking your boundaries. It's getting quiet in church today. Let me illustrate that one, okay? First, I break my boundary. Dang it, messed up. Oh, I broke my boundaries, and I'm bombed, and then, and then 
shame starts to kind of set in. I don't give it space because I know that I have grace, so I break my boundary again. And then all of a sudden, three or four breaks later, it's no longer me breaking my boundaries because I don't want to deal with the guilt that's associated with it. I stop breaking my boundaries. I start moving my boundaries out. If I just move the boundary out further, then I don't have to deal with this right here. And then we wonder why all of a sudden that I'm no longer attuned to the voice of God in my life. I'm no longer attuned to the people that are in my life. I'm no longer attuned to the things that, why? Because I moved my boundaries way out here. So a young couple comes to us. Says, man, I keep on doing this. So I talked to him, I was like, hey, let's just ask him a bunch of questions. So tell us what happens. So it goes like this, the story goes, we're at a movie one night. I was like, okay, what time was the movie? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, they go to dinner or something like that. Like, movie started at 9.30. Okay, fair enough. So they go to the movie. After the movie, they decide, hey, it's time to go home. We, we, we need to go home. And it's a wise decision, okay? And so they're driving home. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, like, what happens in the car? And they're like, you know, we're holding hands on the way home and everything like that. And she kind of touches my leg a little bit while I'm driving. And, and first, red flag. because we know what happens when a leg is touched, okay? <laughs> so now, or, like, already something's starting to happen. I told you it would be real in church, okay? So all of a sudden, so all of a sudden something, something's going, and I was like, okay, cool. So, like, uh, you, drove her, you drove her home, and you, you dropped her off. And when I say dropped off, I'm talking, like, drive-by dropping. You open the door, slow-moving vehicle, like, kicked her out, right? Like, drive-by dropping, right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Before marriage, it's completely respectable. <laughs> Some of you are like, yes, it'll be so much fun. Army roll. Um, so, well, no, I, I didn't drop her off. Okay, what, like, like, what'd you do? And he's like, well, we, you know, we want to have, we want to talk for a little while. And so we parked, you know, parked down the road a little bit more. It's so not even in front of the house, in front of parents with guns and, and lights and stuff like that. <laughs> and, yeah, we, we parked down the, the road a little way. And, and then what'd you do? You know, like, we wanted to have a conversation for a few minutes. It's like, okay, well, like, what'd you do during that conversation? Like, well, we, you know, we put on some music, a little John Mayer, and, you know. <laughs> I'm being emphatic in my storytelling, but can you hear what's going on right now? Yeah. The environment is completely unconducive to yeah. staying within my boundaries. Yeah. Right. So really what you're doing is you're playing Russian roulette with it. You're playing Russian roulette with desire. And now the world's gonna go, well, that's prudish. You should live your best life. You should just like park down the road, do whatever you wanna do, and then who cares? It's not a big deal because we're free people. We have... Isn't it interesting that our claim on freedom is destroying our soul? And one of the greatest reasons that we mess up in the areas that we mess up in is not because the, devil, the devil's bad. It's because we don't know how to curate the right environments. The devil didn't make you do it. John Mayer made you do it. <laughs> yeah, come on, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Or whatever it is, I'm getting older, I like John Mayer, right? But like, here's the, here's the thing, is that's what we do so many times. We create, we create these scenarios in which the devil is the, is the antagonist. And it wasn't, it was your environment. It was what messed you up. 
It wasn't even you. You wanted to live for Jesus, but the atmosphere makes it really difficult. And when you stack enough things up in the atmosphere, man, it makes it more and more difficult to stay living out the life of holiness that God has for you. We have rules in our house. I don't, when Erica goes to bed, I go to bed. She's like, I'm going to bed. I'm like, I'm going to bed too. I'm up. Why? It's because I know my humanity. I don't need to play chicken with it. Come on, somebody. And many of us are playing chicken with our humanity. We're trying to see how far we go before my humanity clicks in. Many of us do. Our spouses go to bed, come on, and then the computer comes out, the phone comes out. Oh, man, just more chickens. I like the third service today. This is fun. Matthew chapter five. So Jesus had a way to deal with environments, and we're gonna we're gonna land the point. Jesus had a way to deal with environments, and that was to use extremes. He says this: You have learned that it was said, "Do not commit adultery." But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He levels a pretty massive truth. So for all of us who are like, Jesus is so loving and he's like so graceful. He actually, on the sexual ethic of our lives, he ups the ante. And so then he says this, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. That's Jesus, y'all. Some of you are like, Jesus is different than I thought, right? This is him. So if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. So for many of us, we can step back and be like, he's like kind of a psychopath. What's happening here? Because it's, for, for, it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be going, thrown into hell. Is he actually saying cut off your body parts? Is he actually saying gouge your eyes out? No, he's talking about doing, he's talking about dealing with extremes. Because here's the issue, is that many of us will try to justify the sin in our life because we refuse to do the extreme thing necessary to rid it out of our life. Well, I talked to a lot of people, this thing right here. A lot of people's problems, if we're really honest, a lot of our problems, they're contained right here. And this little screen right here, this is the world in which we escape to. I talk to a lot of guys, I tell this to guys all the time because it's fun to see the reaction. Based on Matthew chapter five, this is what I would say to you. Man, like Jason, I can't stop looking at things, I can't stop, da, 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 da. Then get a new phone. What do you mean get a new phone? Get a flip phone. <laughs> you laugh, I've seen people rot, like just in pain. Ah! That's so 1990s. Yeah, but your soul will stay intact. We have to deal in extreme measures. If this thing is wrecking your life, then get the thing that will bring life back to you. And that's the thing that you can't go down the rabbit hole. You can't get, if this thing's messing you up, get rid of it. I've told guys, get rid of your laptop computer. Only work on, I've literally told guys this and have friends who have done this. And it makes it hard, extreme measures. I've literally told friends, start doing your work at the library. Go to the, go to, if, you can't, if you can't handle computers and stuff like that in your world, then go to the library. 
That's a weird place to do anything. But I want you to hear this extreme. You're, we're laughing, and it is kind of funny, but I, I want you to think about this. This is, the, this is the thing that we say sometimes. I, it's just not possible, I can't overcome it. I can't, I can't do this. I can guarantee you that the chances of you looking at porn in the library are slim to none. That'll show you that you have the ability to discipline. The issue is not what we think the issue is. It's usually an environmental issue. Is this helping anybody out today? Like, this is a, this is a big deal. Okay, number four, I gotta cruise really, really quick. Number four, this one's pretty simple. We hear about this a lot. Number four, we must ask someone to hold us accountable. We need voices in our life. We need people who are gonna encourage us, but we also not just ask us the question, though. This is, this is the, the fallacy about accountability right now. As many of us have bought into the idea that if somebody asks me a question, I'm being held accountable. Accountability is when you then commit to the question with vulnerability when we confess. That's actual accountability. You're only as accountable as you want to be. My wife asked me a question, I have, I have the chance right there to go, am I going to lie to her or am I going to confess to her? When my overseers ask me a question, am I gonna lie or am I gonna confess? When my friends and pastors in my life, they ask me a question, am I gonna lie or am I gonna confess? Accountability is not just somebody asking me a question, it's me divulging information. And one of the greatest reasons that we run around not being held accountable is because we are not confessing. And then we have an easy out. I was never held accountable. Well, yeah, of course you weren't, because you didn't tell the truth. Are we being real in church today? <laughs> Last one, number five, as the team comes up. We must surrender to a greater authority. There's a lot of practical things that we could do. The list goes on and on and on. I encourage you to curate your questions, send them in this week. We'd love to hear them and maybe be able to answer some of them, but we must surrender to a greater authority. Romans chapter 12, verses one to two. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I just closed my app. The mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing in God, this is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I was traveling down the streets of New York a couple years back, and as I would pass certain shops that were being remodeled and redone, there was a sign that popped up in a few of the shops. It was a sign that struck me every time I saw it, and this is what the sign said, under new management. Under new management. And as I thought about that sign, it popped up in my head this week as I was just thinking about this message again because that's where some of us need to find ourselves today. Under yeah. new management. Yeah. And here's the question I wanna ask you today. For those of us who have been doing the managing of our life, how's it going for you? Because I've found that when I've managed my life outside of Jesus, I'm not the best manager. I'm not the best boss. And I've been given this body, I've been given this mind, I've been given this heart, I've been given this for one moment, a moment such as this. And I wanna be the type of man that's remembered about me, that I, that I loved well and I led well, I sacrificed well, that I gave everything I could to my wife and my kids, I gave everything that I could to shepherding this church well. 
And here's what I've come to realize, church. I will never do it well as long as I'm the boss. I'm a horrible boss. The only way that I will do this well till Jesus comes back or I go home is by allowing my life to constantly be found underneath new management. And that new management is the one who has property ownership of my life. It's the one who bought me with a price. His name is Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in this moment, I wanna ask you all a question. And it's a simple question. Have you said yes to him? Have you decided to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Have you decided to allow him to be the one that sources you? Have you allowed him to be the one that drives you? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around right now, there's some of us in need that make that decision today to say, man, today I'm saying yes to Jesus. And if that's you, I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer with us, all of us together so we don't leave anybody out. We're gonna do it all together so that no one's left alone. But if that's you today and you're saying yes to Jesus, come on, make this your prayer, make this your moment. Say this as loud as you can, everybody after me, everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Today, I'm saying yes to being a follower of you. Lead my life. I'm under new management. In Jesus' name.